Let's now take up and read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Apollos, excuse me, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one, each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I remind you that this is God's holy and inspired word. It contains all that we need for faith and for life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. Let's once again pray. Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And we pray that we will receive it And apply it to our lives. And we ask that you would speak by the Spirit. Through whom we are revealed the truth. And we pray that in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. I have seen many houses constructed of late. I'm sure you have as well. The first thing that the builders do is clear off the land and build a mound of dirt. Then they build its foundation. They let the concrete dry off and they start construction. They begin with framing the structure. They put on a roof and drywall and then they brick the house if it has bricks and put it on the market. At least that is the way I I see it. However, the foundation is the most important thing to the building of a house. Because if the foundation is built incorrectly, everything will be out of whack. If the house is not perfectly symmetrical, it will lean one way or the other. If it is on sinking sand or yazoo clay, it will probably sink or shift. You will have to raise the house or restructure the foundation. 
The foundation is fundamental to the building of any structure. Paul, in this text, says that the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. Without Jesus as the foundation of the church, the building is all out of whack. The person and work of Jesus Christ is the only foundation of the church. And as Paul said, no one can lay a foundation. Uh, no one can lay a foundation other than what than that which was laid. Thus, we arrive at the doctrine doctrine of the text, which is the church's only foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. Simple yet profound, the church's only foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a faulty knowledge of Christ, you will have a faulty foundation. In the exposition, I would like to present four headings. First, God's independency. God's independency. Second, God's building. God's building. Third, God's foundation. And finally, God's warning. God's independency, God's building, God's foundation, and God's warning. Verse 9 says, For we are God's fellow workers. Now let us first establish what that doesn't mean. It does not mean God loses his independency. He is perfect in all his ways. This does not mean that ministers of God are our colleagues of God. Colleagues in, say, a college campus pretty much have the same authority. It does not mean that, as Acts 17.25 says, God is neither worshipped with men's hand as though he needed it. God is completely independent or self-sufficient. Furthermore, it does not mean that God is dependent on helpers such as Paul and Apollos. They are completely unnecessary for the completion of the church in Corinth. He could build it with or without Paul. It is entirely of grace that God privileges Paul to be a fellow worker. Verse 10 says, according to the grace of God given me. Paul concedes that he is not deserving of this privilege to be a master builder in the Lord's house, but God, who has been gracious to Paul. Paul does not miss the opportunity to praise the Lord for entrusting him with this grace. Matthew Henry says of this passage, It is not to gratify his own pride, but to magnify divine grace. He was a wise master builder, but the grace of God made him such. Besides, in the context, he says that he is just a servant in the Lord's house. I planted, Apollos watered, but only God gave the growth. Furthermore, he says in the previous passage, 
so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, is anything but only God who gave the growth. So God does not need Paul or Apollos. They are not necessary for the growth of the church. In fact, Paul says that they are nothing. So that it is not what this construct so that it this is not what that construction means. However, it literally does mean for we are workers with God. We are workers with God. By the grace that was given to them, they are allowed to participate in the work of the church. Last week, Paul spoke with an analogy that ministers of Christ were like servants in a house. And he then said that we were laborers in a field. But Paul displays another analogy. Christ's ministers are builders. And we need to look at that a little more. So the second heading is God's building. Verse 9b says, You are God's building. You are God's building. In other words, God is the owner of this house. Which means God is the owner of the church. You are not. Nor am I. Only God is the builder or the is only God is the owner of this building, which is the church. Furthermore, this is a plural you. You, the church of God at Corinth, and indeed every one of us who have professed faith in Christ and have been added to the church, we are God's building. The present tense of these words indicates that we never arrive at completion. We are continually being built. I uh, once traveled to a distant land, and I observed that re- rebar was on the tops of virtually every structure. I asked a local what was the meaning of this, and he said, if the rebar, excuse me, if rebar is on the roof, that means the building is incomplete. And what is not completed, the owners don't have to pay taxes. So the locals did not complete the building for fear that they would be taxed. This is at one time uh, an implication of the guilt of their government and also the guilt of the locals. Well, in a far more holy way, God is constantly building the church. According to his election, he is always in the business of adding to his church. And this will not be completed until the day of glory. This building will never be completed until that time. Verse 10. Like a skilled master builder, Paul says, like a skilled master builder. Literally, this can be translated a wise architect. Like a wise architect, like a wise builder, by the grace of God, he knew how to construct this building project. Verse 10b says, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. In this analogy, Paul says 
that he has laid the foundation. And verse 10 continues to say, and someone else is building upon it. Someone else is a hired hand. Someone else is building upon it. Paulos, excuse me, Apollos and other teachers were building on that foundation. How, however, what is that foundation of which someone else is building on now? We have the answer in the following verse. God's foundation. We need to talk about God's foundation. Verse 11 says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Let us talk about these things that have already been mentioned in the book of 1 Corinthians. About the foundational matters of the gospel which is preached. The first foundational matter about the person and work of Jesus Christ is, one, the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. Chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but it is, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Also, chapter 2, verse 2 says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The crucified Messiah is fundamental to saving faith. If you don't believe that Jesus died to grant us salvation from sins, you are lost and dead in your transgressions and sins. The second element that is foundational to the Christian faith is to Christ, the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. Chapter 130 says, And because of Him, you are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God. And, verse, and chapter 2, verse 4 says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Skip down to verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. This crucifixion of Christ was according to the wisdom of God, not of man, and it is revealed to us only by the Holy Spirit. It contains spiritual wisdom. To believe this, we must obtain spiritual wisdom to realize that this was according to the wise plan of God. This is foundational to believe. A third thing that God reveals um, as a foundational truth is Christ, the righteousness of God. That's the third thing. Christ, the righteousness of God. Chapter 1, verse 30 says also, that Christ became to us righteousness. Christ became to us the righteousness of God. In other words, Christ became to us our justification. Our justification. As Romans 1.16 and 17 say, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith 
to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Christ is the righteousness of God. He lived a perfect life and died a blameless death for you and for me if you believe. And if you don't believe that only Christ is the righteousness of God, you have denied a foundational truth of the gospel which we believe. The fourth foundational thing for us to believe is if we are being consistent with the foundation of God is Christ, fourthly, Christ, the sanctification of God. Christ, the sanctification of God. Chapter 1, verse 30 also says that in Christ we have become the sanctification of God. This continues the thought of verse 2. Chapter 1, verse 2 to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, called to be sanctified together with all those in every place, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been sanctified by Christ. And we also have been called to be progressively sanctified. And lastly, Fifthly, Christ, the redemption of God. Verse 30 also says Christ is the redemption of God. He became to us redemption of God. He brought us back from sin and death. He bought us back from the condemnation of the law. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. These are all foundational to the church and foundational to the church's ministry. It is necessary to believe these things. We are required by God's word to believe all these things. And thus, we come to God's warning. God's warning. Because because Paul is inspired by God, this, in essence, is God's warning. Verse 10d says, Let each one take care how he builds upon it. This clearly is meant to be a shot against the divisions of the Corinthians. Furthermore, this is a warning against preachers and teachers who build upon the foundation of Christ. This text is quite similar to James 3.1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brother, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This involves the materials with which they build the church. And these materials should be indestructible. For fire will reveal what sort of materials they devote to the church. We will talk about that next time. However, this is a warning from God. Let us, each one, let each one of us, care how he builds upon it. That is a severe warning from God and it is meant to challenge the teachers and ministers of the church to ask whether we build any other foundation, any other than Christ. This leads us to our applications. I would like, I would like 
us to make several applications from this passage. The first one is this. Don't ever think that you are foundational to the church. Don't ever believe that you are foundational to the church. This is a rather harsh. However, this is the only position of Jesus Christ to be the foundation, the, the head cornerstone. Christ is the husband and we are the bride. Christ is the head of the church and we are his body. He alone is the foundation of the church. The person and work of Christ Jesus is the only foundation of the church. People often assume that they are fundamental to the life and existence of the church. That This may be a preacher or a ruling elder or a Sunday school teacher or just a common member. He is filled with arrogance and pride. He says, I am truly necessary to the existence of the church. But that is not the case. And that is so unwise. You can be a significant part of the church. And I would suggest that you would, that you would be a part of, of the church. But you are not foundational. I am not foundational. This is reserved for Jesus Christ and Him alone. People come and go. But Jesus Christ remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the immutable foundation of the church. You and I are not. Another application is don't ever think that you have outgrown our foundation. Don't ever think that you have outgrown our foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Don't ever think that you can possibly outgrow Christ. In other words, you cannot, I, excuse me, you can out, not outgrow your need for Christ. Some people think that you can outgrow your need for Christ, and they support this assumption by Hebrews uh, 6 1, which says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection, and the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. He says, he who says, the author of Hebrews says, we cannot repeat the elementary doctrine of Christ. You know that one must repent and believe. And we know that we must believe in the resurrection and in the final judgment. But those are elementary doctrines. And those were doctrines that the Corinthians were really struggling with. Really struggling to believe. And Paul described them as infants in Christ. Paul said that he could not feed them anything but spiritual milk and certainly not solid food. The epistle to the Hebrews said that they ought to leave behind these elementary principles and doctrines of Christ if God permits. But it is not as though they left the doctrines of Christ entirely. The author of Hebrews goes on to talk about Christ more and more. He spoke of the high priesthood of Christ. He spoke of Christ's once and for all sacrifice. 
he spoke of Jesus as the founder and perfecter of our faith. And he spoke, spoke of the immutability of Christ. You could well argue that this is the most Christological book in the entire New Testament. You don't ever outgrow Jesus Christ. This is the first and fatal mistake for your spiritual growth. At the very least, we believers are infants in Christ. And don't ever think that you and I can ever outgrow Christ. By the grace of God, you will continue to grow in your knowledge of Christ. You will understand better the union that you have in Christ. If you continue to grow, you will understand more and more the prophetic, priestly, and kingly roles that Christ our Lord takes on and a million other ways. You will know the doctrine of Christ better. And better yet, you will know the doctrine of Christ experientially. And we will understand those things that lead to godliness. Finally, the third application that I have is a warning to ministers. Don't ever get away from preaching Christ. Don't ever get away from preaching Christ. Christian teaching elders, ministers, teachers, or ruling elders don't ever get away from preaching Christ. It is a corruption of the Word of God to, find, to not find ultimate fulfillment in Christ. If you would understand the text Christologically, you would do well. But if you don't, you are guilty of building apart from the foundation, which is Christ. Ultimately, it is a lot of work and a lot of prayer to find the fulfillment in Christ sometimes. But it is well worth the work. You will be blessed by your labor to find Christ revealed in the text of Scripture. And so, Matthew 7.25 says, Jesus said, Everyone, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. Don't you want to be founded on the rock? Don't you want to be founded upon the foundation that is built upon the person and work of Jesus Christ? Let us pray that this church would reflect that. Let us go to God in prayer now. Father, we do ask that this that this church would be ultimately on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Will be ultimately found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and we warned teachers from getting away from that or building another uh, another thing which is is not Christ Jesus. 
And so we ask that You would make this church dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ with every thought, with every word, with every deed. Enable us to preach nothing but Christ, the foundation. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.